Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Fixed Shorts with Richard and Jim. Solutions Podcast in 15 minutes or less. So, Jim, you and I disagree or clash on healthcare. I think of healthcare as a, as a basic right uh, and support the concept of universal healthcare. Yeah, and I'm for more of a free market approach, less bureaucracy, maybe more flexibility. Where we do agree, it's not easy to fix healthcare. And Senate Republicans have certainly realized this recently, not even agreeing among themselves on what to do about fixing healthcare. Because well, it's just so damn complicated, really. So before we get too far into it, let's look at how Obamacare works. Yeah. The Affordable Care Act brought down the number of people without health care coverage to the lowest number in decades. The Kaiser Family Foundation says the uninsured rate dropped by 13 million people, and that's down by about a third. But cost to consumers went up dramatically in most states. So did the cost of the health care subsidies and the taxes needed to support them. We spoke with Megan McArdle of Bloomberg View, who's done a lot of writing about this. So the basic idea of Obamacare was what people called the three-legged stool. And when you actually start adding up all the legs, it's more like an eight-legged stool. But <laughs> it, um, it was, first of all, community rating, which is that you can't charge people more because they're sick unless they're smokers. That's the, the, there's a little bit of charging for age and smoking. But other than that, you can't charge people different prices. Does, does pre-existing conditions also fall into that? Yes. That is the ban on sick rating the insurance. Okay. Um, so, so people who had a, a serious ailment, whether it's a skin problem or cancer, they could not be refused insurance under the, under the reforms. Right. But also you can't charge people more because they're old. You can, but it's, it's a very strict limit on how much more you can charge them for being old. And old people, of course, tend to spend a lot more in healthcare than young people. The second leg of the stool is something called guaranteed issue. And that's, that again goes to the pre-existing conditions. If someone wants to buy insurance from you, you have to sell it to them. You don't have a choice about it. Uh, the third leg of the stool is the mandate. And that is that if you don't buy, you get penalized. And then the fourth leg of the stool is the subsidies, because if the subsidies aren't there, then it's very difficult to uh, to get people to buy if they just don't have the money. So what's the warning sign? What's going on out there? Right. So what these things are, are, are put into place to, to avoid is, is a phenomenon called the adverse selection death spiral. What tends to happen is, look, insurance is a great deal for people who are sick suddenly. So if you're sick, you go buy it. Well, the insurers know that, and then they say, well, I've got to raise the price, so I've got, to, I've got to charge more for this insurance. Well, healthy people look at that and say, I'm going to expect to have an average of $300 of healthcare costs, and this insurance costs me $6,000 a year, thanks, but no thanks. 
The problem with that is then the pool is more expensive. So the insurers look at this and say, oh, oh we've got to raise premiums. So they raise premiums to $8,000 a year. And, the, and then there were people who say maybe we're spending $1,500 a year who say, you know what, I'm just going to, I can't afford that. And they drop out. What you end up with is what New York had was incredibly expensive insurance that was basically only valuable to people who were pretty sick. I went uninsured in New York's insurance market uh, in my 20s for precisely this reason. The cheapest policy I could get as a 28-year-old non-smoker was uh, something like $450, $500 a month. Megan, I love this term, the adverse selection death spiral. That's going to be the name. <laughs> that's going to be the name of my next heavy metal band. <laughs> but, but the real issue is, is younger people who don't get sick much and tend to think they're kind of invulnerable, making what may even be a somewhat rational choice not to buy insurance at these very high rates. Or, or they get a very high deductible because they don't think they're going to be using the, the, the most serious uh, forms of coverage. Well, so the problem is actually a little, even a little more serious than that, and it comes in two parts. So the first problem is that is that the the administration was originally saying um, we need forty percent of the people on the exchange to be between the ages of eighteen and thirty five in order for this to be actuarially stable. They got under thirty percent, and that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's actually huge because those people are providing the subsidies for everyone else. So, Jim, without enough young people, the price for healthcare coverage for everybody else goes up and insurance companies can't make enough money on the marketplace exchanges. Right. So a lot of insurers have dropped out of many of the networks, leaving very little competition. And the ones that are in often have these very restrictive plans with extremely limited range of doctors available. So as a result, insurance costs go up, people flee, and they game the system. So so what's that? What are you doing? You are... Buying insurance when you're sick, and then you are dropping it after you've gotten treatment. What United Health has complained about, what other insurers are also complaining about, is that outside of the normal open enrollment period, that, that, that two to three month period that we have every year where you can sign up for insurance, what they're seeing in the special enrollment period, which is for people who say, switch jobs, move states, got married, had a baby, something like that, that what they're seeing is that the people in that period have extremely high healthcare costs. They're signing up for a few months using a ton of services and then dropping it again. One way some consumers can game the system is to move to states where insurance coverage is more generous or to just wait until you get sick to get insurance in the first place. Yeah, that's one of the many criticisms of Obamacare that Republicans tried to address in their bill that failed in the Senate. Well, look, if I live in Manhattan or New Jersey, for that matter, uh, and I get cancer, like I can move states <laughs> and I will, if that is the difference between me paying for my cancer treatment and someone else paying for my cancer treatment, you could see people contracting sham marriages in order to get health insurance coverage. You could see people easily in a lot of areas, just Kansas city move straight, you know, just move from Kansas to Missouri. Voila. Okay. So we've heard some of the problems here to me. If you're a supporter of Obamacare and, and generally I am the solution that comes to mind is probably the most unpopular but necessary, and that's to require everyone to have health insurance and raise the penalties for those who don't. It's the only way that this kind of system can work. You're probably right about that. It's exactly what drives libertarians crazy about this whole plan. It's so coercive. It leaves so little flexibility. And combine that with the the coverage that's mandated under the bill. It's gold-plated Cadillac coverage. It covers every conceivable thing. So the kind of insurance that I was able to get when I was in my 20s, a bare-bones 
plan that would only cover catastrophic issues. Um, it was cheap. Now the insurance is really, really expensive because they've required it to cover so much stuff. And then, of course, people very understandably don't want to buy it. I agree. There could be some flexibility on that. But on the basic issue, I think it's wrong. And I th- actually think this is kind of a conservative argument. Some kid gets on a motorcycle without a helmet, has a terrible crash, ends up in the emergency unit. As a society, we are not going to say we're not going to treat this person. Taxpayers end up paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this kid's care because he couldn't be bothered right. to and get health care insurance. Obamacare was supposed to bring down those costs, and it didn't. Well, so we're yeah, still but, spending but, you know, hundreds of millions well, of dollars. True, but on, on this kind of case, if we, if, we don't have, if we don't insist that people have health care coverage, then we're going to continue to subsidize people for these kinds of accidents. Right, but we're, subsi- think, but we're subsidizing they- it anyway. I mean, you're, you're basically arguing the morality just, of one form of subsidy over another form of subsidy. I don't I think, think there should be a choice. They're both problematic. Yeah, I don't think there should be a choice. I, I think that you should be, be, have to pay for a certain kind of coverage unless you can't afford it. So, uh, right. so okay, so then you can pick up on here's right. something that we do agree okay. on. So, so here's something... So here's something we can't agree on. Okay. When we, when we spoke with Megan McArdle last year, she spoke about the problem of consumers or taxpayers' expectations about health care. Yeah, we. We are a big part of the problem, as in we consumers. People in America think that insurance basically should cover everything and not cost more than a cell phone plan. Right, right. Uh, fair point. And that's, that, it's literally, that is literally like the conversation I've had with I've had it, basically every journalist who works on this has had this conversation where someone's like, you know, well, it was $400 a month for this insurance. It's like, well, how much did it cost? I shouldn't have to pay more for it for my, than my iPhone. Well, but this saves your life. The iPhone is awesome, but it doesn't save your life. So the concern here is, going back to the adverse selection death spiral, is that a lot of the insurers in the exchanges are under financial pressure. If those pressures get worse, if they go under or drop out, the system kind of collapses and we've got to come up with some other way of fixing it, right? Right. What we end up what we end up with is the individual market basically going away. They've not gotten the people they need into those exchanges yet, which is the young, healthy people who are basically supposed to subsidize everyone else. If they don't get those people in, um, there is, I think, a real danger that enrollment will start going down after having gone up. So, Megan, you once wrote, the existence of a problem does not, therefore, imply the existence of a solution. Well, our, <laughs> our whole show is about solutions. And, and having said that, you do have some ideas for how we could address these problems with Obamacare. So how do I think about healthcare? is that there are things for which people – demand is effectively unlimited and almost no one could ever save enough money to pay for them, right? There are cancer treatments that cost a million dollars when you're all done. Neonate, neonates is a good example of this, where like it costs like a million dollars to put a kid through a neonatal unit. It doesn't matter who you are, especially at the age at which people are having children, you are never going to save up that money. Um, so we want to deal with those problems while letting ordinary people make their own decisions, empowering them to think about things are scarce, what do I value as much as possible? So um, what I would propose is this. The government steps in and says, look, after any healthcare costs, 100% of it, after 15 to 20% of your adjusted gross income, 
So in, we so, up. so in other yeah. words, oh, let, let's break that down. So let's say your family income is $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. If you spend more than eight or $10,000 a year on health care, then the yeah. government picks up the, the total cost of that above a certain amount. Right. And I assume the aim of this the thing that you're suggesting is to avoid bankruptcies because of health care. Exactly. I want people deciding on their own what they want. What do they value? Um, and they're not going to do that with, with their neonate, right? You don't make decisions about whether your child is going to, uh, is, it should live or die based on money. This is why we, we have pet insurance for a dog, right? We buy it not because we can't afford to do the treatments, but because we don't ever want to be thinking about whether it's worth X amount of money to, to save Fitzgerald's life or to make him more comfortable or so forth. Um, so insulate people from the part that they really can't afford. And now people could insure the gap if they wanted, but fewer people will precisely because it's a well-defined gap. And it looks, by the way, a lot like some of these deductibles um, that we have now. So this is not like this is some revolutionary thing that where I'm really depriving people of something they have now. The problem is that people hate that. They, this is the thing they don't want, right? Is they don't want to ever have to make any decisions about healthcare with regard to price. And the problem with that, in turn, is that what they demand is, on the one hand, and you see this in Sanders' care, uh, Bernie it's Sanders' healthcare Bernie plan. Bernie Sanders' plan that yeah. the Medicare right. for all, that We're the government have takes over everything. coverage for everything. There's going to be no rationing of treatments. You get everything you want. Well, no system works this way. Someone has to decide because goods are scarce. We cannot spend 100% of our national income on healthcare. Um, and so, you know, the question is, do you want us to decide or do you want a government bureaucrat to decide? I want a system that forces you to decide. Um, the problem is that people hate having, making their own decisions. Um, and so what ends up is that they demand that no decision be made. And then a hidden bureaucrat that they don't know about makes the decision for them. Megan McArdle of Bloomberg View speaking with us there about the drawback of Sanders Care, which is a single payer health care system that now increasingly a lot of Democrats support. It's like the, the, a, a government system for everybody. Sure. And that's probably where we're headed. And that's something that when Obamacare was being debated, a lot of opponents said this is basically a slippery slope towards some form of single payer. Yeah, I think a lot of people who worry about Medicare for all is who decides, who decides on what drugs will not be covered because every system has rationing of some sort, whether it's rationing by the marketplace or rationing by uh, government officials who would decide uh, what gets covered and what doesn't. But even under the current system, under ACA, even with whatever tweaks they put into it, Megan said, basically, it's too late to change it. We're going to wind up muddling through. And I think she was right. I think she called this over a year ago. The reason that they couldn't get something through Congress isn't just because the Republicans are leaderless or disorganized. It's because this is almost impossible to do. You can't keep everybody covered and bring down costs and bring more flexibility back. This is, those are mutually uh, conflicting goals. You're not going to get them all done. No, it's, it, it's not going to be an easy solution, but clearly we can have something better than we have now, which is a mess and a collapsing system. This is Fix It Shorts on healthcare and the recent collapse of the Republican Senate plan. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Please subscribe to How Do We Fix It on iTunes. It helps our numbers and means more people will find us. This show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Our website is daviescontent.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.